You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the We Are Libertarians daily show. I am your co-host, Cody Johns, and I am with Sarah Brady Wagner. Uh, Sarah, how are you doing today? I am doing great. So what are we talking about today? Getting right into it. No, how you doing? Okay. Uh, well, I'm fine, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, hope you're, I hope you're well. Uh, we only have 20 minutes. Come on. That's true. That's true. All right. We'll make this quick for the commuters out there. Today, we're going to talk about something that I am sure is going to trigger anybody who listens to it one way or the other, and it's the term wage slavery. Uh and so I'm sure if you're a right-leaning libertarian, you're already tapping on your computer how much you hate the episode. And if you're left-leaning, you're already telling us how much you love it. But give us a chance here to talk about it. You know, we could screw it up. We could make it great. But I think it's just going to be a great discussion. So um, I don't know. What are some introductory thoughts you want to make on wage slavery? Well, wage slavery is really one of those things that, like you were saying, it means very different things to people depending on what side you're on uh, of that kind of economic split. And but it, right off the bat, it it definitely um, triggers some people from the idea that uh, anything having to do with earning wages could be connected to a concept of forcible slavery. You know, we think of wages in a capitalist system as something that's you know it's a voluntary exchange. You you accept wages, but how could that be connected to slavery? Absolutely. It's something that you say, you know, a, a traditional capitalist will say, say it makes no sense because you can choose your job. If they don't pay you enough at one job, you get to choose another job. So it shouldn't be linked to slavery because you had the freedom of choice. The problem is, is that it's actually a limitation of the amount of choices that you can have with the current system of economics that we have. It, I equate it to saying you get to choose the crumbs on the plate, but you get to choose whether there's choose whether they're crumbs of bread or crumbs of meat or crumbs. But either way, you're still dealing with crumbs, and we'll talk about that um, a little bit. There's a lot of history that we'll get to in just a moment. But even before we get into that, um, I, I guess how would you open a right leaning person into thinking about wage slavery? Should we even use the term rate wage slavery? Is there something else we should say to make them a little soften their hearts a little bit about it? Well, with a lot of these concepts, you know, wage slavery is, is definitely one of them. Um, you know, rent is theft is another great, you know, phrase that immediately, you know, leads to if you start with that, um, there's such a misunderstanding of what it means that I don't think you can really get anywhere. So I think it, it does help to back up to, you know, look at the concept of how do we determine that somebody has an actual choice and when is a choice not really a valid choice? You know, we, yeah. we, all we all understand the concept of coercion and that you can force somebody to do something without necessarily actively you know what we would think of as force you don't have to physically make somebody do something in right. order it's not to physical aggression it's just saying it's just limiting their choices i guess right. passively so kind of coming at it from from that perspective makes it a lot easier to understand and you know you can get into the concept there are a lot of things that we understand as you know coercion and slavery, but um, we don't necessarily start off with that terminology. We kind of got to back in the idea. Sure. And, and I want to say I'm a total capitalist. 
And so I, I love the idea of currency exchange. I, I guess from the libertarian side, I probably would love our cons- currencies to compete a little bit as opposed to being centralized. But that has a lot to do with this whole argument. So I would say if you are a capitalist, don't let the term turn you off immediately because there's some really great pro-free market things to talk about when we talk about wage slavery. A lot of and, and I think a reason, I guess to backtrack even one more time, a lot of the reasons people fear the term is because people use it and then immediately propose big government right after it. Right. And and that's that's one of those kind of fallacies around it is the idea that big government is the solution to this problem rather than considering is has government uh, been a contributor to the problem, which I feel like is something that libertarians, we come up against all the time. It's the, <laughs> Let's back up and consider, is this a problem that government's caused before we should solve it? Caused is the right word. Government has not just contributed to this problem, they created it. So this is, and I and I love the founders, but this happened shortly, I guess, after the founding of the country. To get into some of that history, um, we have a long economic history. We've changed a lot of different ways. Our tax code has changed a lot of different ways. And so it's hard when we look at the first economic systems to, to see how our current economic system would fit because it's so vastly different. But I mean, there was a time when your bank would monetize your GDP or your stuff for you. So if I made a shirt, I'd give it to my bank and my bank would create money and give that money to me. And that's somewhere there in American history. And it seems so foreign right now. And, and you might be saying, oh, that's a great idea. What were we thinking? But it's there in our history. Um Cicero of ancient Rome warned against authoritarian capital, centralized capitalization, saying whoever gives his labor for money sells himself and puts himself in the rank of slaves, which still feels a little anti-capitalistic to you. But that's kind of the system that we set up is saying, you know, you give your your money or you give your labor, you get paid a wage in return. How is that at all associated with slavery? Well, one of the things that comes up a lot around this is the idea that um, is it really a choice when you're, you know, is work or starve necessarily a valid choice? Uh, when you are given less than you need to actually be able to sustain yourself in order to thrive, in order to, you know, be comfortable in whatever society you're in, you know, and that does vary in different societies. Um, then is that necessarily a valid choice or are you being kind of forced into accepting what, if, and a lot of times, you know, is a, an artificial floor on those wages. Right. They didn't take away your food, but they're not, there's no way to obtain the food without this labor and you will die without it. So while it's easy right. to say it's nonviolent, you're going to die without food and you have to work for your food. Now, I don't think Sarah and I would preach for a nation where we all get to sit on the couch for free. So again, I'm aware we're kind of using some scary terms here, but but to kind of get into it a little bit deeper to explain where some of these philosophers were coming from, um, we this was not always the system. And so the place that Cicero was coming from and the place that some of the early Americans were coming from, you know, before we even ratified the new constitution, was a place where you could make something and turn it into new money. Instead, the current system, the way it works is, and, and I know I'm glossing over a lot of history, but like you said, we got 20 to 30 minutes to get this done. So, so just bear with me. We've turned into a place where the Fed creates currency. They give out the currency to businesses, usually through loans, corporations, let's be honest, politicians, 
corporations that help them get elected. And somewhere along the line, you hope that money trickles down to you. And it wasn't always that way. And that's really where people talk about wage slavery. That's really the system they're talking about. You have no choice. You have no option to be there in the ground floor. You're not going to get to a place where you get new money. Yeah, your your labor is not being um, put into directly producing goods or items that then can be exchanged for money. Your labor is being put into a much more complex system, you know, that also involves our monetary system and the Federal Reserve and how, you know, you're exchanging it for money, which is at this point fiat currency. It's yeah. it's based on nothing. Yeah. So, but that's the only way that you are able to obtain those things which you need to survive. You're not even given the option of I will barter with you with actual goods. Correct. And 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 I love currency. I believe in currency. I'm not the type of person that says we need to get to go back to a place where I'm trading five chickens for your cow and, and and that bit. I understand the reason currency exists. It's just we went from a place where even now when we create currency, when currency enters the system, we do it based on the GDP created in the United States. We say how much currency should be there in the United States. We base that number on the amount of stuff in the United States. On the amount of, we say that here's the value of our stuff. So that's about how much money we should have flowing around there. So it makes sense then when I say, hey, I just made five pairs of shoes for someone to create money at that point for five pairs of shoes. It, it's, it's cutting edge, but it actually isn't. It seems like it's new, but that's actually the ancient system that we moved away from when they would create a currency based on your product. Um, so why do you think we moved away from that? Oh, there's, there's, I mean, that gets into a lot of kind of guesswork as, I mean, in the United States, we've, we've been away from a gold standard, away from an actual, uh, you know, pegging our money to anything that has a specific value for, uh, what is it, 29, I think? Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. Coming, coming up on 100 years. Um, yeah. But one of, so I guess my, my question for you, Hody, is what, now that we're here, what do we do? Uh, what is the, what is the answer and the solution for, okay, we accept that there are people who are being put in a position of where their, their labor is essentially, you know, being taken from them, even if voluntarily it is taken from them in a coercive means at a um, substandard wage, you know, less than they should be given for the productivity of, that they're of their labor. What are the solutions going forward? The way that we could fix our current economic system, you know, without just throwing everything out and trying to go full socialist. Sure. Oh, so let me give you my answer, and then I want you to give your answer because they could be very different. I, I again, I'm more. I think that the liberty mindset can lead us to different solutions to this. There's not a single one solution. Um, to this problem. Now, I will admit to being a dirty minarchist. I believe that some government might be necessary. Uh, we just wanted to doing as little as possible. I also am a am pragmatic in the sense that we are going to have to take several steps to get to where we want to go. We're not just going to overthrow it and turn it back to before Andrew, Alexander Hamilton was here in the country. That's not realistic. So where do we go from here? It's got to be a popular message. It's got to be one that can get a lot of support. And it's got to be appealing to a lot of the base of America. So I'm going to give you my answer on this one. And I think that the answer is, is, is a form of um, 
is if we extend universal basic income. Um, and it's controversial, you know, if you watch any of the debates at the Cato Institute, I think they're fantastic when we talk about both sides and there's pros and cons. And I'm not at all telling you that this is decentralizing currency, which is where libertarians really want to go. But I'm going to tell you that this is what I feel is viable right now. And this is saying we were going to add, say, $10 trillion to the system to match our GDP. Right now, that $10 trillion goes to the central bank. They give that out as they see fit. The, uh, one of the biggest places they give it to is the um, U.S. Chamber of Commerce, right, to, to uh, print money and minting. That's actually the number one lobbyist group in America that buys off politicians. Uh, if, if you look at, at the lobbyist numbers, they don't even hide it. They're almost three times higher than the next rated lobbyist. So when you're looking at people buying out our politicians, number one is the federal government. Uh, and so I think what that happens is when we add that to the system, it's taking it away from the people who actually made the GDP, from the people who actually make this country worth something. And I think that the best way for us to do it at this state, as much as I'd love to give it to the GDP makers, that's going to come off as very crony as well to say, oh, look, they gave it away to all their corporate allies. I think the best thing to do when you add money to the system is just spread it out even, evenly among all people of the United States. And so we say you do have some income every month. And in that case, if the government needs money, they have to get it from you instead of printing it out. If politicians want money, they have to get it from their constituents. The option of the Fed is not there for them. So that's that's my thought on it. That is very radical, I'm aware. I guess you can review my idea, but what, what, what's your idea? Well, I, I actually tend to fall on that side as well, which tells me that we need to do another episode um, soon of, to explain universal basic income. Yeah. But let me go ahead and take the other um, the alternative, which you you touched on there, which would be decentralized currency, the mm-hmm. most popular um, example of which is cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Ethereum, mm-hmm. um, which the basis of these systems uh, in, to not go into explaining it in detail, because again, another episode, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, the idea is that rather than having one centralized issuing authority, you uh, have a ledger which is maintained by a variety of different uh, individuals who then are basically providing checks and balances against one another. And that also um, produces the Bitcoin or the Ethereum itself. It's a mining process which also serves to um, validate the ledger. And... Um, again, that's that's very complex to get into the exacts of how it works, but by decentralizing it, it kind of goes back to that original idea of a bank who will monetize your goods. Um, and, and and I don't mean to interrupt you, but just let's get just to be very basic about it. If I ask you, is it better to have one airline company or multiple airline companies? Which one's a better value? Which one's going to be give you better quality? What's the answer? Multiple, because then you have competition. So if I only have one place that's allowed to manufacture dollar bills versus multiple people that can manufacture their own currencies, currency has to be competitive, right? That's the way you would think it would go. So if it improves quantity and value, why would you not want to do that with money? Wouldn't it takes you- away from power. It takes away from the power. So... In either system, I'm sure that we would meet with political resistance. I would say my, you know, the UBI system is even the more moderate. And I still think that's only because it's a populist message. I think people would like it to say, oh, we all get the money instead of them having the money. Politicians would still, I'm sure, pull out every everything they had to say, this is still not a good idea somehow. Uh, 
Yeah, as well as with decentralizing currency. I mean, they're, well, it would it would be a change from the norm. It would be a change from you know the status quo, which in and of itself is always unpopular. Even and, if it's a good idea. Absolutely, which is and it's scary. And I just want you to know, and I guess it's weird to kind of end with history, but this is something that was not always the case. It used to be the way. Sarah's talking about it. Mine is another way of talking about it. So this is not a, you know, people, early America, they had several different types of currencies and we felt the need for a single currency. And you see where that's kind of led us. Of course, you we know, trust there, the founders. Go ahead. There is so much though about our, our modern society, I guess you could say, where there are problems that we face, which at their root seem to be, well, there is a solution if we kind of look back to what our original principles were. You know, i Makes me think of how many people I say, I hear talk about, well, when my parents came through Ellis Island, you're like, what? They had to sign a book and make sure that they <laughs> fulfilled requirements that they knew coming in and then they were done. Yeah. It's not the system we have, you know? No. So rather than assuming that the current status quo is the way it's always been, it's considered looking at how we got here. You're... Your, your parents would be waiting on that boat from Ellis Island for about 18 years uh, before they managed to step onto the shore <laughs> under the current system. So we used to have this system where it's decentralized. We centralized it. At first, uh, so Frederick Douglass, a freed slave, uh, very popular in libertarian corners, uh, loved it at first. He supported it. He got a job and he said, now I'm my own master. And later in life, he said, experience demonstrates that there may be a slavery of wages, only a little less galling and crushing in its effects than chattel slavery. And that this slavery of wages must go down with the other. So it's not a conversation that's new to our era. It's something that we've had before. We're just used to having it this way. We've we've had hundreds of years of saying this is the way it is versus Frederick Douglass who said, Oh, we just did this last week and I don't I don't think it's a good idea anymore. I did want to cite one more, I guess there's four four studies, and you can find them in our show notes. Please read the show notes. Uh that established that in the north you had less access to possessions and lived a lower quality of life as an urban wage worker than as a slave in the South. And I couldn't believe it when I first looked that up. But I've got the backings. Like I said, four studies. Uh, PBS is on here. Uh, it's true. And so it's not this system that you need to be in love with as a capitalist. You should absolutely think of outside-the-box solutions to this because when we, if we just continue to think within this system – we are still on a system of choosing crumbs, like I said earlier. Yeah, it's not a system that's necessarily leading to the betterment of everybody, which is what we look for out of capitalism. So sometimes we need to look at where are the ways that our current system of capitalism, often because of government interference, is not providing the outcomes that we hope for out of it. And then we have to actually address what the answers could be. Yeah, I, I mean, we need to talk about about other solutions. And if you feel like you have a solution that's different than the one Sarah I presented, absolutely talk about it, discuss about it, find what economics, economic, econ economists are saying about it, and well, and throw your hat into the ring. Because the only way you're going to find out it isn't a valid solution or is a valid solution is by talking about it. And and we want to be those voices that are on the cutting edge of this because it's not sustainable and everyone knows it. And it's really hard to hear economists talking about this as a term of when the American system will go belly up. 
as opposed to if it should go belly up at all. So if you have some more ideas or if you'd just like to enter into the conversation or hear more or let us know what you'd like to hear more about, um, please find us on Facebook. Join the We Are Libertarians uh, group. There's great conversation and um, great intellectual stimulation there. Uh, please be sure to check me out on the um, We Are Libertarians YouTube channel at 8 o'clock on Sunday nights. And please make sure to subscribe and listen daily. Absolutely. I really look forward to hearing from you guys. You can find either of us on social media. We both respond probably more than we should on social media. So if you disagree or want to add something to the conversation, we are always open to ideas on putting stuff on the show. Uh, you can join our Discord. That's on the, the information there is on the We Are Libertarian site. We actually have a section for show ideas. So don't, don't feel limited to that. But, uh, Sarah's great talking with you today. I love, I love talking about issues that are controversial because I feel like we discuss them in such a non-controversial way or a non-heated way. Oh, <laughs> well, that's the way I like to do it. <laughs> Until next time. Yep. Have a good one.